This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Empire. Mental health is an ongoing priority in big time sports. I think what's what's important is for you know the fans to realize that we're people too. I think sometimes that we the, the players get look at categorized as robots, right? And uh, you know we're everyday people. We we struggle with the same things that you know quote unquote the average person struggles with. That's Mike Gibson, director of community outreach for the Mental Health Center in San Diego, who works with anyone struggling with their mental health. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. A few weeks back, the sports world stopped when Bill Safety DeMar Hamlin suffered a heart attack on the field during a Monday night football game. And if not for the immediate intervention of the medical staff at the game and at the Cincinnati Health Center nearby, he likely would have lost his life. The game was postponed that night and eventually permanently as the players were clearly in no place mentally to continue. For Mike Gibson, it helped shed a light on the needs of athletes and others, for that matter, in big moments and small ones too. Our guest this week is Mike Gibson. He's the Director of Community Outreach for the Mental Health Center of San Diego. He's also a former NFL player. We're going to talk about some technology in the space of mental health for high-level athletes, athletes of, of all ilk, and some interesting developments within the NFL, which has kind of prompted this conversation. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Time. Um, let's just start with what you're doing with the Mental Health Center of San Diego and how your background as a big time athlete kind of shaped your your role in wanting to work in this field. Yeah. So what I do at the uh, the Mental Health Center of San Diego um, and a facility called Healthy Life Recovery um, as well. Um, the Mental Health Center of San Diego is uh, we actually have a six bed crisis house. So uh, individuals who um, are struggling. Uh, with their mental health, you know, whether it be, you know, anxiety, depression, all the way from bipolar to schizophrenia, um, you know, things that are, are common mental health issues today. Um, and what we do is we have, you know, 24-7 nursing. Um, we have psychiatrists on staff, um, 24-7 doctor on staff. And, uh, you know, so the, and what that is is a stabilization. And so for individuals who, um, are really struggling with their mental health and need a safe place and need that around the clock care. Uh, we do have a, a beautiful home here in San Diego um, for that. And then we also have a 50 bed, um, what they is, is an outpatient facility. Um, and what that is, is like a transitional living from the crisis house to, you know, into everyday life. And so it kind of eases the transition. Um, we have 10 master's level clinicians at our facility. And uh, with that, you're going to be getting like dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR therapy, um, as well as group therapy and individual therapy as well. And 
you know, it's, you're going to be in groups that are uh, with people that are struggling with the same things that you are. Um, we are the first facility on the West coast that has an individual track for each mental health diagnosis. Um, so you're, when you're in a group setting, the people that you're talking to are going to be understanding because they're going through the same things. Um, and then, you know, you're going to have, you're going to be meeting with a psychiatrist twice a week and, uh, you know, really getting to the root of the issue, um, which is, you know, what, what kind of digging deep and, and figuring out what is causing these issues. Um, and then we also have a mental health or a uh, substance abuse facility as well uh, for individuals that are struggling with substance abuse because they, you know, they go hand in hand, you know, mental health and substance abuse. I have my own um, history with substance abuse. Um, prescription pain medication, alcohol, and yeah. a lot of that came to a head once I retired and had a lack of identity. Um, yeah. You know, was really struggling with uh, depression, anxiety, and uh, you know, so that and because of that, I use substances to to mask um, those feelings and ended up abusing those substances and 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 literally almost losing. Uh, well, lo- losing everything almost my life. Did this start when you were young, um, your your personal experience with mental health, or, or did it kind of come to a head as your professional career was coming to an end? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I looking back on it now, um, I did realize that there were some things that were different about me in particular. And one of those things was, you know, I, I, was, I was born into a lower income family, right, in, in Napa, California. So, it's Napa is one of those places where it's either low income or very wealthy people. And, uh, you know, I struggled with, uh, you know, I was a short and stocky kid. So, uh, I, I got made fun of a lot. Right. And so looking back on it now, it's realizing that there probably was some depression. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't drink in high school. Um, you know, my, and it's some people find it hard to believe, but from the, I think I was born to play football. That's what I, thought at the time and so from the time I was eight years old and well six years old when I watched my brother suit up and play Pop Warner um, you know I wanted to be a football player and so there was nothing was going to stop me from reaching my ultimate goal uh, of of making it to the NFL and uh, you know being from Napa small town you know we're we're not necessarily known for you know our, our big time athletes there I think there's uh, you know, three people, myself included, and then a fourth on the way and, and Brock Powers uh, at the University of Georgia right now. I think he's going to be the fourth person from my high school ever to, you know, to make it to the NFL. Hmm. Um, and, and so because of your personal experience with this and what the experience of other athletes that you've dealt with, this is what kind of led you to this place where you wanted to work in this space? Yeah, you know, I had gone into my sixth rehab. Um, in one year and, um, you know, really, like I said, man, I, I was lost. I had no identity, didn't know what I was going to do, didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, at, at the time when I, uh, was offered a job at the treatment center, I ended up staying there for four months at the time for me, it was okay. This is, this is a job. I was making minimum wage. I was on food stamps. And for me, um, you know, I looked at it as a job and realized that I'd really become passionate about it and that I wanted to help people. Yeah. Um, from, from all walks of life, you know, this disease doesn't discriminate. Um, you know, the mental health doesn't discriminate. It, it affects everybody. 
you so, were on food so that, stamps. That's why I wanted to dig deep into it. You were on food stamps after you were on food stamps after your NFL career. Is that right? Repeat that. I'm sorry. You were on food stamps after your NFL career. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Within, uh, within two years, well, about three years after retiring. Wow. Yeah. That addiction got, and that's where my addiction had taken me. Wow. Um, you know, obviously we're very interested and everybody's interested in hearing about the mental health aspect of, you know, playing big time sports after what happened to DeMar Hamlin. I think it was a wake up call for a lot of people that how violent the game can be. Um, even mm-hmm. in how aberrational that specific event may have been. That was, I've covered this league for 30 years and I've never seen anything like that. We're, we're accustomed to seeing injuries, but I've never seen anything like that. And, um, you know, I wonder how you kind of responded to that and how maybe you're seeing other athletes talk about seeing that happen on the field. When I initially had seen it, you know, it seems like, Unfortunately, every weekend we see situations where we have head injuries and, you know, individuals um, are on the ground for, you know, they can be on the ground for a short amount of time or a long amount of time that, you know, we just saw it the other day on the Monday night game where um, an individual was carted off the field, right? Like that, that to me seems to be, you know, almost a weekly occurrence, unfortunately, and I figured with people getting bigger, faster, stronger, like it's, it's a situation where it was bound to happen at some point. Uh, maybe I didn't think that something like that was going to happen that way, but my initial reaction, you know, was thinking, Oh, it wasn't a big hit. Maybe it's just, you know, a, a, a what's no, it's a typical head injury. Um, and so now looking back at it, once they started, you know, the resuscitation, you know, it's scary. It, it, it truly is scary and and realizing that I, I think what what's important is for you know the fans to realize that we're people too I think sometimes that we the, the players get look at, categorized as robots right and uh, you know we're everyday people we, we struggle with the same things that you know quote unquote the average person struggles with um, on a daily basis sometimes more in some cases um, you know so I think it really brought a humanity to football. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, were scared um, and, and still are scared. You know, I think re- the realization that it can happen to any of us at any, any point in time on a football field um, came to fruition more so than ever um, that one night. Yeah. Um, on the other side of it, in a much lighter version of it where mental health comes into this, obviously seeing that is frightening when you see something like that occur. And I think we all can relate to that was terrible. What we saw, there are other things that are happening within sports that I find interesting. And I wonder how you kind of think about it. Um, Sean McVay is one of the most successful coaches in the league. He's still very young. He consistently talks about not wanting to do this for a long period of time. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury gets fired from his job, immediately jumps on a plane and goes to Thailand and isn't immediately jumping back into coaching. Um, Aaron Rodgers says year after year, I need time to mentally think about whether I want to do this again. And granted, he's had a great long Hall of Fame career, but it's consistent that every year at this time, he needs to think about his emotional well-being and people sometimes make fun of it and sometimes seem to understand it. I, w- I wonder how you're kind of viewing modern athletes, modern coaches 
with the rigors of the NFL or any professional sports league as they kind of think about emotionally how they're going to handle getting through it? I don't, I don't think the, uh, you know, it's interesting. I have a conversation with people uh, about why I ended up leaving the league and it wasn't due to lack of ability. It wasn't due to uh, my addiction. Um, it wasn't due to, um, you know, my mental health. It's, it's the stress of the league. You know, it's, it's Aaron Rodgers is the top 1% of, of his team, right? Like he's the one making a lot of money, guaranteed money. Now I viewed myself always as the 51st, 52nd, 53rd guy on the roster. And, um, you know, of the six years, you know, my salary was only guaranteed twice and realizing that you can get cut every weekend and not get a paycheck is stressful. You know, messing up one play um, can can alter the course of your career, right? Um, the the kicker for the Cowboys, right? He just missed yeah. three field goals, and you know, it's if he's not a vested veteran and gets cut, then he doesn't make any money any more money. That's our livelihood. So I think the the top one, like Aaron Rodgers, right? Like he's got every reason to come back. You know, financially. Uh, you know, other than maybe physically, um, you know, financially people would realize, you know, look at it and go, dude, you're due this amount of money. Who cares who you play for? Who They don't, it's hard for the general population to understand what an individual goes through during the course of the season. Yeah. Um, you know, and then social media nowadays makes fans more outspoken than ever um, and can alter a player's mental health more now ever than, than ever at this point. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Chalk and Dog, which brings together the vast experience and expertise of two of the brightest agencies in media, sports, wagering, and gaming. With deep roots in the UK and the US, the agency offers expert guidance in everything from market entry to market expansion for startups as well as established global brands powered by best-in-class communication and creative experts. Chalk and Dog has vast international experience and delivers results-oriented, tailor-made solutions for B2B and B2C organizations. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, obviously, the physical strife is something that you know very few people will understand unless they went through it. Um, but social media, I think anybody who's a young person will have experienced you know the the similar nature of what you're talking about. Obviously, it's different when you're a famous person. Um, mm-hmm. How how do you kind of view athletes in a modern world interacting directly with fans, reading and hearing things said about them every single day. How do you kind of view how to handle that as you try to maintain a career? Yeah. I mean, it's to say, you know, that every player in the NFL doesn't see that, doesn't read that stuff. Um, You know, there may be a a couple small percentage of people that doesn't, that don't go on to social media. Maybe they have a publicist or something like that, but, Majority of the time, as you can see, right, there's, 
there's players that still interact with fans, you know, when things are said negatively about them uh, on social media. And it's tough. It's tough, you know, because everything that uh, players do is, is put under a microscope. Um, and, and the fans love you until you do something <laughs> that frustrates them. Uh, you know, it, it's seen on a weekly basis. Um, the, uh, the individual players are more reachable now uh, than they've ever been due to social media. So, and, and a lot of the times the fans or individuals do stuff um, to get a, get a reaction out of the players, you know, whether they're, um, you know, teasing them, um, essentially bullying them into a response. And, and, and as a, as a player, as a human, when your manhood or your character is being questioned, yeah. it's, it's, it's really hard to not respond to something like yeah. that. Yeah. I right, listen, trust me as a broadcaster for a team, I hear it too. You know, so <laughs> yeah, trust me, I get it. Yeah. You know, like, and I'm sure you do. You, you have to have thick skin to it. You know, you have, you, and I, that's easier said than done. You know, and, and so I agree that it, that it's difficult, especially for young people. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is. I think it's tough. You know, to to maybe get it to to navigate it. Um, all right, let me let me ask you about some of the technology that's going on because clearly, um, we are in a new space. Um, one last thing about all this kind of. The fact that we are talking about these things as opposed to, like I said, I've been doing this a long time, 30 years ago, this wasn't discussed. Um, None of this, like it was, you know, whether it was physical or mental, be tougher. I mean, that was just basically the message that was sent to, to athletes like, and, you know, go play, do your job. Um, How do you kind of view now we're having this conversation. It's not a taboo conversation. We're discussing big time athletes saying, you know what? I need a break, you know, like, and, and that's not the worst thing on earth. How are you kind of viewing how society is looking into mental issues right now? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, even growing up for, for me, right. You know, 37 years old, you know, I think growing up is a, is a, I know my view of manhood has changed. Right. And, you know, growing up, it was, you know, tough it out. Don't say anything. Don't show any emotion. Um, I think society has, you know, definitely accepted. You mentioned that this wasn't taboo. Well, I, I feel like 10 years ago it was. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, society as a whole has done a, 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 an awesome job um, of uh, the stigma and breaking down the stigma. Uh, you know, my views as a man now um, and ultimately what saved my life and saved my relationship with my family is, is communication. You know, learning how to communicate with my family. Um, when I was playing, it was because I didn't want to put the burden on them um, about how stressed out I was. My wife, you know, um, everybody in my family, you know, how, how are you doing? How's everything going? Oh, it's going okay. Or how are you doing? You, I'm all right. You know, my, my family now knows that when I say things are all right, that something's wrong. So, you know, it, it's, Learning how to talk to my family, that, that, like I said, that's what saved my life, uh, using descriptive words. You know, if, if I'm sad, if I'm angry, you know, letting them know that, I, you know, I'm depressed, I have anxiety, I'm stressed, you know, and, and, and describing what's making me feel that way. Um, you know, I think that, you know, most of my childhood, that was a sign of weakness and, and, and can, uh, Depending on what area you were at, born in, you know, it's still people think that it's a sign of weakness. And, um, you know, you, you know, what is weak is not being there. Yeah. 
you know, you know, being six feet under because you are unable to communicate with your family. And, And that's the reality of the situation. We're seeing it now more than ever. It's publicized more than ever. Uh, I mean, look at the amount of former players to this day. Um, it seems like, you know, almost a weekly and monthly basis, we hear about a former player um, in a hotel room or um, took his own life, um, you know, and, and all because because of what? Somebody told us that, you know, 30 years ago that not speaking up was, was being a man, you know, when, when in reality, being present for your family, uh, being there for your kids, your nieces and nephews, your wife, you know, it's, I know it's hard because it, I know it's hard for me still because like sometimes I feel like I'm complaining or, you know, that I'm not grateful for the things that I have, but sometimes it takes somebody else to point that out for you. Like, Hey man, like you're struggling right now, but look at these awesome things that you have today, you know, and then these are things to be grateful for, Um, you know, and then, Luckily for me, I have a sponsor that I can talk to and he can point that out very quickly for me. Um, I have people that hold me accountable today and, uh, you know, aren't afraid to tell me how it is. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about some of what's going on there and some of the technology that's happening there. Um, it, it, I, there's a number of different therapies that were passed along to me before we kind of started this conversation. If there's anything that like stands out to you that you think our listeners would be really interested in hearing about, I'd like to just hear that from you. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, I think those are a lot of the more popular ones. Um, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, change the way that you talk. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy, change the way that you think. Um, like I said, it, it can be very difficult. Um, and, and I've gone through uh, many groups and, and learned about this. And, you know, but like I said, it's, Sometimes I have to have people point these things out for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think what my main thing my sponsor told me was have a list of five people and five people that know, have your best interest at heart, you know, are going to be there to pick up the phone and, uh, and be there to talk to you. And of, the reason why I have five people is because if person number one doesn't pick up the phone, then I have number two. And, and I, I call those people and let them know, Hey, you know, my, my mother-in-law is one of them. Hey, Lene, I, I put you as my top five. If I if I send you a text with nine one one, or if um, if I call you, please just pick up the phone. And and the reason why I do that is because I'm struggling, and um, and I just need advice or I need help. Um, and I think it's important because a lot of it takes somebody else sometimes to change the way that you think. You know. <laughs> For me, right, like I had a bad uh, CPA from when I was playing and I've had my wages garnished a few times in the last five and a half years. And, you know, it's it's when the government comes to take your money, you can get a little frustrated. And, um, you know, I want to get mad at the world. I want to get mad at everything. And, and the main thing in that is changing the way, hey, at least I have a good job. I have... Um, you know, the financial means to be able to pay that back, right? Instead of getting mad at the world, getting frustrated, right? So, so change the way you think. Look at the look at the things that you have and be grateful for them. Um, you know, a car breaks down, but you can afford to fix it, right? Like, sure, it sucks, it's frustrating, but at least you have the opportunity to pay for that due to a good job, due to 
you know, and, and those are things I have to, you know, tell myself on a frequent basis, certain situations that come up, you know, look at the things that I'm grateful for. Mike Gibson's a former NFL player and the director of community outreach for the mental health center of San Diego. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.